You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. So Grant Storms is a Baptist minister, a pastor in New Orleans, and for years he's sort of been famous, infamous for staging God Hates Fags style protests at Southern Decadence, which is a street party in New Orleans on Bourbon Street, uh, which is normally so placid and civil and respectable and not very decadent at all. Uh, but the gays take over Bourbon Street where, you know, you can take your grandmother and your children any other day of the year. The gays take over Bourbon Street for something called Southern Decadence, and it is a little decadent. It's a kind of like gay Mardi Gras street party. There's a lot of uh, rear ends showing instead of titties. And uh, Pastor Grant Storms would show up every year with a bullhorn and a broom and all of his followers and would scream, God hates fags and Leviticus this and Romans that at the homos uh, and just rail against the immorality of it all and the sexual depravity and blah, blah, blah. Can you guess what happens next? Can you guess where this is going? If you're a regular listener, you know what's coming next when I bring up an anti-gay, religious, bigot, psycho warrior Reverend Grant Storm was arrested a couple of weeks ago sitting in a van at a playground masturbating while he watched children play. Now, he denies in a press conference, denies that he was watching children while he masturbated, but doesn't deny that he was masturbating parked at a playground. I can't think of a less sort of erotic place to go grind one out than a playground. But hey, that's me. I'm one of those depraved faggots, right? Who doesn't think there's anything sexy about children or playgrounds or sippy cups? Call back to last week's show. But uh, Grant Storms now says he has a pornography addiction. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so tired of people who get caught out being the perverts that they are after externalizing their internal dramas about their own sexual desires that they can't deal with and externalizing it and making enemies and demons out of other people, almost always gay people. Then turning around and claiming, oh, I'm a victim. I have a pornography addiction. <laughs> and now Pastor Grant Storms is saying what he really needs is the love and help and support of all of his other fellow pastors and conquering uh, the porn demon that has destroyed his life. So what's the lesson here? It's the lesson we should always take away. Everybody who's out there screaming and yelling about other people's sex lives and how depraved and immoral other people are, they're next. They're the next Pastor Grant Storm. They're telling us, I am a basket case and a mess. I am externalizing my own internal drama. Every last Phelps is a mess like this. They're all going to come tumbling out. Tony Perkins, we have your number. Tony Perkins, Family Research Council has to be. I think we can safely infer now after the wreckers and the haggards and the storms and all the rest that everybody who is out there waving a placard about how immoral other people are who are just trying to enjoy themselves with other people who consensually wish to enjoy themselves with them has issues. Don't know exactly what those issues are for Tony Perkins but I know they're there and one day he will come tumbling out like the rest of them. Your calls after this.
This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hello, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old bisexual woman married to a straight man. Um, we were married when we were very young. I was 20. We were in love, and we still are, but looking back, it was largely a marriage of necessity. What we really wanted was just to move in together, but we were both really religious at the time. We're not anymore, but at the time, we believed in abstinence before marriage, so we had to get married to move forward. So we were both virgins before, and we've been monogamous since. The problem is that the sex sucks. It's a horrible cliche, but I was really interested in sex before, and seriously, the day we got married, my interest in sex with my husband completely disappeared and never came back. Um, We have sporadic periods when we have a lot of sex, both penetrative and non-penetrative, and it's not terrible, but the arousal just does not happen, and I find myself just having sex with him as a favor because I love him and because he doesn't deserve a sexless marriage. Um, For a while, I thought it was just a libido problem, but recently, within the last few months, my ability to get aroused is starting to come back, just not with my husband. Um, I find myself being attracted to several of my friends, women and men. Um, I find myself wanting to experiment with other people, branch out, explore my sexuality, and find out what I like and what I don't. Nothing serious, not a relationship, just casual sexual experimentation. Basically everything I would have done before committing to my husband if I hadn't chosen to be absent at the time. I love my husband so much, and I I want to be good to him, and I want us to have a good sex life. So I say, why don't we open up our sexual relationship for a while, just an experiment, see what happens, see what we learn, see if I can learn to be sexual again and apply that to our sex life. Um, my husband is against this idea because he says that sex is special and emotional and something that he wants with just me and no one else. But I think that if we don't try something, the sex is never going to get better. So my question is, is it unrealistic of me to think that having sex with other people can improve my sex life with my husband? Is it too big of a risk to our relationship? Is it just a catastrophe waiting to happen? I just feel like the situation is unfair to both of us. He's not getting the intimacy he wants and deserves, and here I am suddenly getting aroused again, but not with him. And it has been so long since I felt sexual at all. What do you think, Dan? It is a truism and kind of a cliche about opening up a relationship that many people, you know, many couples, what they experience is, isn't, you know, a diminishment of their desire for each other, but that it kicks their own sex life uh, into high gear, that they're suddenly having more sex together, you know, just the two of them alone uh, than they were before they started, you know, perhaps going to a swingers party every once in a while or having an occasional uh, three-way on the, or even a piece on the side. And, you know, what they say is, you know, we, you know, we talk about what we're going to do. We talk about what we've done. You know, we, you know, now we have all this, all these things to talk about, all this dirty talk uh, while we're having sex with each other about, you know, the adventure that we're on together. But it kind of only works if both people want to be on that adventure. Right. The problem, I think, in your relationship is psychological for you. Uh, are you physically attracted to your husband at all? 
I mean, uh, objectively, like, objectively, as an aesthetic object, is he good? Is he bad? It's kind of like the way I, I can best sort of describe it is like you know you can look at Michelangelo's David and think it's the most beautiful thing in the world, but you don't want to fuck it. Your husband looks like Michelangelo's David. I'll fuck it. <laughs> Send him over. Um, here, here's the here's what's going on. Then I think for you, uh, and this can really be a huge libido killing impediment is that your husband symbolizes for you something negative. You know, he symbolizes your, you know, religious screwed up past. He symbolizes abstinence. He symbolizes the death of sexual adventure and possibility. He symbolizes, you know, the things you weren't able to do before you two got married so that you would have God's permission to have sex. Uh, and all of that has sort of curdled into kind of a, a, an unfair resentment of him on your part. Right. You need to forgive him. It is not his fault that you guys both had the religious zap on your heads when you met, that you married as young as you did, that you hadn't had your adventures before you ran uh, to the altar with this dude. It's -hmm. not his fault. And you need to exonerate him. And if you do that, you may find, and that's going to take more than just like a glib realization with some fag on the phone, you know. Right. If, if you can do that, if you can get there where you forgive him uh, and, and no longer view him as the block, as the impediment, as the problem, you ah. may find that your desire for him increases. That doesn't mean that your desire for these other adventures and possibilities is going to evaporate. And then you right. need to have a conversation with him about that. How old are you guys? Okay. I'm 22. How old's he? He's 23. Okay. I really think that, and how long have you been together, roughly? We have been married for two years. We dated for four years before that. Okay. I really think that what you need to do is prove to him that you're going to stay with, do you love him? I do love him. Do you have kids? Excuse me? Do you have children? No. You need to prove to him that you're with him for the long haul, even if you want to fuck other people. And really let that sink in. And he'll better understand that if you fuck him uh, every once in a while, um, like you like it, uh, which is not to say you need to fake it. I think you need to claw your way back to viewing this Michelangelo's David as something desirable. Even after, you know, eight years of it, you're a little tired and desire some variety. Now, there's a study right. that came out recently at Indiana University that showed that men have an easier time obtaining an erection with a familiar partner, but women have an easier time uh, becoming aroused and wet with an unfamiliar partner. So uh, there's something to your desire uh, for some possibility, excitement, adventure, other people that's not just you're a bad person or you don't like him or whatever. Right. And you need to help him understand that. Uh, and the best way you know, to get him there is for you to fuck the shit out of him, for you to forgive him and exonerate him, for you to look at him with new eyes, see him as the you know, hot 23-fucking-year-old David that you say that he is, <laughs> bang the shit out of him on the condition that you guys are beginning to talk about more possibilities. You guys are beginning to regard each other's sexual futures as uh, – having some possibilities down the road. Right. So he's not an impediment. But that's going to take 
that's going to take time. Yeah. And and you need to put, you can plow this sudden like interest in other people into your sex life. He knows that you want to fuck other people, right? Yeah. Have you tried dirty talking about it with each other while you guys are fucking? We've, um, we've tried sort of like where I'll be blindfolded and then we'll sort of do a role play where he'll act like two different people. Uh huh. And that has kind of been awesome. But, uh, we've only just. You are, started doing that. Okay, you need to take a deep breath, Mr. Tw- Miss 22-year-old impatient married lady. You're on your way. <laughs> you are on your way to what you want. If he is okay. engaging in this kind of role play, that means he's thinking about it. He's thinking about mm-hmm. it in a way that, you know, where he's proving to you that this is something that he can play with. And this is, you know, his first little baby step toward perhaps realizing with others some of your fantasies. Right. And, you know, if you guys are doing blindfolds and you're having awesome role play sex where there are, you know, other imaginary friends in the room, honest to God, you're on your way to what you want. That's encouraging. Live in hope. You, you have to let the resentment evaporate. You have to let the resentment go and not right. see him as, again, the block, but see him as the person who maybe not this month, maybe not six months from now, maybe not even a year from now, but maybe a couple years from now will be the person who's helping you realize all of your sexual fantasies. And I do think that married people need to be that for each other. You need to be whores for each other. You need to be what the person who makes it happen for each other. And it's, it's tremendous. You know, you're head and shoulders above a lot of married couples and that you guys are having these conversations already and dealing with them really in a kind of a positive way. Right now he's saying, you know, I can't go there. I can't go there. I want sex to be special. Just you, you and me. But his erotic imagination is already going there in this controlled way. And it's a hop, skip, and a jump from let's pretend there's another person in the room and I'm in complete control because this isn't our imaginary friend and I'm describing it to, okay, there's another person in the room, but they're only allowed to do X while I can do everything else. Okay. And if you give him that kind of power where we'll only go as fast and as far as you're comfortable and ready for you may find that he surprises you and if he looks like david and he's 23 fucking years old it's worth the time worth the investment all right and i want to see a picture mail at savagelove.net <laughs> okay okay at least of his shoulders if he looks like david <laughs> all right good luck thank you Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm a divorced uh, 40-year-old straight male with uh, two school-age kids. I've had a couple of uh, relationships of various intensities since the divorce, and I'm sort of in between relationships now with no real prospects in the near future. I'm about to enter into a friends with benefits, fuck buddy type of arrangement with a friend of mine who is also recently divorced with kids in their 20s, but who has not had sex with anybody but her ex-husband in over 20 years. 
at this point, we seem to be exactly on the same page as far as really valuing our friendship, but having no interest in making this romantic thing. Throw in the fact that she does have a history of some sexual trauma and the importance of getting back her confidence in the bedroom, some random one-night stand she picks up in a bar or whatever could be emotionally damaging, and this arrangement seems to make even more sense to us and to the few mutual friends we have talked about it with. We've acknowledged the risks of the situation, such as some hurt feelings, if and when one of us decides we want to drop the buck and just be buddies again, or one of us developing more romantic feelings when the other does not, etc. The benefits are winning out. My question for you is, what advice do you have for us in minimizing the negatives of doing this? Obviously, being honest with each other and ourselves about how we're feeling in this arrangement is important. We're pretty close as friends, and the biggest turnoff to this is the possibility of hurting someone we care for very deeply. I appreciate your help. Thanks. There's no way really to eliminate the negative potential outcomes. You you can't minimize the risks away. There could be hurt feelings. Um, and so what? Uh, in addition to hurt feelings, there could be the, the regaining of her sexual confidence. There could be you know intimacy and connection. There could be a lot of things that – you know, maybe not the day that somebody's feelings are hurt, but, you know, after a few weeks or months go by, looking back over it once it's over, they'll go, okay, there was more good in that than bad, but still there were some hurt feelings at the end. There's, um, there, you know, there's often hurt feelings at the end, but not always. And it sounds like you guys are doing everything right. I really feel that with the way you guys are communicating and what you understand about her sexual history and your sensitivity to her abuse issues, and it's a really good call for someone with her history to not run out and have a few one-night stands with guys who she can't really share this with because she'll scare them off and then she might wind up having an experience that, you know, tweaks her trauma or reinforces it or triggers something to, to be with somebody that she can really relax with and really open up to. That's really smart. And that you're talking about this with friends and you both have other people outside uh, this relationship uh, to lean on and to go to with concerns and for feedback – you don't need my help. You guys are fine. You're doing everything right. And I think you should go for it with the understanding that there's no way to avoid in any relationship, even if a relationship doesn't ever end, there's really no way to avoid pain. Pain is a part of our human experience and pain is a part of every relationship. If you want to avoid pain, don't have relationships, but then you have the pain of not having a relationship. Really, it's unavoidable. You just have to push through it. Hi, Dan. My name is Alex, and I am from a relatively larger suburb in the Midwest. Um, uh, this spring, I had a yeah, boyfriend for about a month. Um, this boyfriend was just in the process of coming out to everyone, um, and we were, you know, it was relatively fine. He came out to my friends, and he was about to come out to my, uh, our mutual friends at school, However, he felt that he wanted to tell his parents first, and he thought, oh, I should tell my mom first because she'll be the most understanding. Um, upon telling his mother about uh, being gay and then about us, um, he was immediately demanded to break up with me, to keep it a secret, to deny it, and to never talk about it again. And then on top of that, sent him to a... Uh, gay to straight conversion therapist um, and this and ever since then he's been um, 
depressed and suicidal and all that stuff. Um, upon realizing he was suicidal, his mother withdrew him from the gay straight conversion therapy, as hopefully any normal parent would. And um, ever since then, he's been extremely well. He's been recloseted. He won't even talk to me about sexuality, and I'm afraid that this therapy did a lot of damage to him, and I don't feel um, that he's comfortable enough to talk to me about it, um, to let me know, and I, I mean, I really care for him as not only my ex-boyfriend, but also as a good friend, and we're still really great friends. It's just, you know, we don't talk about what happened during the spring. <laughs> so I was just wondering what your opinion on in what I should do, um, how should I react to this, um, and how should I help him if there is anything I can do? Thanks. When I launched the It Gets Better project, one of the initial sort of critiques, and critiques are welcome, I, you know, everything I do isn't golden, was that other kids are bullied too, not just gay kids. Okay, gay kids are four times likelier to attempt suicide uh, than straight kids. And I know that straight kids are bullied. I know the geeks are bullied, the nerds are bullied, the band kids are bullied. Uh, and I know that not only gay kids who are bullied in school commit suicide or that the bullying can be a trigger also for straight kids uh, to attempt suicide. And I know this because my brother Billy uh, – I know this because I'm not an idiot. But I also know this because my brother Billy uh, was bullied uh, in the same school uh, where I was bullied. And when I launched the It Gets Better project, I called him up on the phone uh, when it started to go insanely viral, just to check in and let him know that I remembered, that I didn't want him to think that I had forgotten that in grade school, he had it worse than I did, which is middle school for us Catholics in Chicago. Grade school was K through eight. So sixth, seventh, eighth grade was really when we were both getting it. And he got it worse. He was really smart. And he screwed up the curve on every test. Uh, he was into science fiction. He was, uh, you know, a book reader and kind of a a, a nerd and and, and, a, and a brilliant guy and still is. And he teaches at Northwestern University in Emerson, Illinois. He's still a brilliant guy. And we were talking, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's fine. I remember. You know, I, rem I thank you for calling." Uh, and then he said something smart. He said, "Yeah, I had it worse at school, but I had mom and dad, and you didn't." And that was really. The difference, that is a huge difference for gay and lesbian kids all over the country, is that you know the, the, the band geek is bullied and goes home to parents who are on his side and goes home to a shoulder to cry on and then isn't dragged to a fucking church on Sunday where the pastor pounds the pulpit and screams about how God hates band nerds. The gay kid all too often goes home to parents who bully them for being gay, who terrorize them. Uh, for being gay, who force them back into the closet, who send them to conversion therapists, who do tremendous damage spiritually, mentally. Professional uh, psychiatric organizations consider ex-gay therapy to be abuse. And then they're dragged to church on Sunday where the pastor tells them that God despises them for the sinful choice that they made to be gay. You know, a kid whose parents reject them when they attempt to come out, when they reach out, is eight times likelier to attempt suicide than a kid uh, whose family accepts them. You know, one of the things that was going on when the It Gets Better project went crazy viral 
was a lot of well-meaning straight people, and God bless them, jumped in to make videos. Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama. And almost invariably, all of them said to bullied gay kids, there are people out there who love you. If you're being bullied at school, go to your parents. Talk to your parents. All too often for many gay and lesbian, bi and trans kids, that's the last thing they should do. That's where they really need to be told, wait, before you come out to your parents, you need to think about who your parents are. You need to game it out what their reaction is going to be because they have so much power over you when you're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old that the risk may be too great to come out to your parents right now. It would be great if every gay and lesbian kid, like my brother, when we were kids in grade school, he had mom and dad. It would be great if every gay, lesbian, bi and trans kid in the country had mom and dad on their side too, like Constance McMillan did. But not all of them do. And what should you do about your ex-boyfriend? You should make sure he knows about the It Gets Better project. Hopefully he does. And you should still be his friend. And you should be an example to him of the out gay kid that he almost was, still could be, and the healthy, well-adjusted gay adult that hopefully he will be despite his family's rejection. Then you should go to this person's mother. Maybe not directly. You should fill an envelope with a printout of the article from Pediatrics. Go just Google Pediatrics. The article's title is Family Rejection as a Predictor of Negative Health Outcomes in White and Latino, Lesbian, Gay, and Bisexual Young Adults. Which unpacks the stats that his mother's behavior, the way they're treating him about his sexual orientation, is harming him, may make it likelier for him to commit suicide, also makes it likelier for him to be depressed, to be unsafe sexually, to use abuse alcohol and drugs as an adult. This can't be what his mother wants for him. She can't force him to be straight. And the choice when you, your kid comes out to you isn't between having a gay kid or a straight kid if you accept or reject them. The choice you might be making is a gay kid or a dead kid. And you need to rub this kid's mother's nose in it. Now you're just a kid. Maybe you can't do this. Are you out to your family? Is your family on your side? Are your parents on your side? Encourage your parents to reach out to this kid's parent, to reach out to his family, to talk to them about what they're doing to him. And rest assured that – and have some sympathy because he's in a really extreme living situation right now. He may have decided to go deep cover, to tell his parents what they want to hear, to not be sexually active or out, to not have boyfriends, to not date, just to keep the peace at home for his own sanity right now. And so you need to respect that. Don't mow-mow him about coming out. Don't be confrontational. Love him. Support him. Be there if he comes to you with questions. Let him know that you're worried and concerned for him. But don't try to force him out if what he needs to do right now is go to the mattresses and pretend that he is the kid his parents are compelling him to be under duress. But your parents particularly if they support you and they love you and they're not monsters, should empathize with this kid. If your parents don't feel that's their role, if they're not comfortable doing that, if they're still 
coming to terms with your sexuality and they're not the right people to do it, print these articles out from pediatrics. Print the news articles out about it. Just Google pediatrics and family rejection and they'll all come up. Stick them in an envelope, address them to his mother, send them to her. She needs to see what she's doing. She needs to know and be cognizant of the risks she's running. She can't prevent her child from being gay when he grows up. She can, however, prevent her child from growing up at all. And let's extend her the benefit of the doubt. Let's attribute her behavior to ignorance and not malice. Let's just believe that she didn't know that she was potentially murdering her child when she put him through this. Let's give her the information that she needs. Let's, let's get your parents, perhaps, if they can, to reach out to her and help her see the error of her ways and perhaps save her son's life. Hi. Um, I'm uh, about 42 years old. I'm into BDSM. The first person I did anything with was my husband. That's about three years ago. Um, since then, I had wanted to experience more than what he's into. Um, and he let me do that with some other people. I chose one person who was really exciting to me. He was really into humiliation. And um, I liked it a lot. And um, he just got more and more sadistic with me. And it kind of culminated in him um, violating my safe word in a public play space. Um, which was pretty traumatizing for me, and um, nothing was really done there. I don't think they, I, I wasn't in any position to tell anybody. I was just kind of in shock. I was like totally disassociated from myself while it was happening. My body was not hurt, but it was just terrible. And after that, I started having um, panic attacks and getting really, really anxious. Um, I went to a therapist, and they gave me um, Klonopin, which kind of fucked up my head, and um, then I, I've had problems with depression before I actually attempted suicide and was revived. Um, that was about a month ago, and um, I still get really anxious thinking about um, doing anything with anybody, um, but part of me really, really wants to, and I just, I'm wondering if it's just a really sick thing that I want to do. Um, I have people, other people I've played with that I trust. Um, that I know would be good, but of course now my husband doesn't really want me to do anything, and I just I just really don't know what to do. I want to know when he violated your safe word at a play party so that there were other people around, presumably, when this happened, including if it was any sort of well-run uh, BDSM group or kink uh, community organization. There should be a dungeon master around to enforce you know, respect for safe words and sexual safety, why he wasn't called out. I'm not, and I'm not saying this is your fault. Uh, I think you're assuming way too much blame for what happened. This guy was an asshole. You need to give yourself permission not to be angry and depressed and upset with yourself, but furious with him. Listening to your call, it sounds like your most, you know, your anger is all self-directed. And this guy wheedled his way into your life, uh, presented himself initially as someone uh, that you could trust, someone who was a respectable, respectful player, and then uh, as soon as he could, violated your trust, ignored your safe word, really broke what are huge taboos, shifted into non-consensual play at that moment, which is sexual assault, really. 
emotionally, if not legally provable. So get mad at him. Don't, you don't need Klonopin. You just need to take your fury and your rage and your anger and your hurt and just put it all on him. And then baby steps. Uh, you know, people uh, bring people home for one night stands. People make mistakes. People uh, marry the wrong people. People wind up in relationships with emotionally or physically abusive assholes all the time. Uh, so I don't want you to feel like because you drew the short straw on this douchebag that your judgment is fatally impaired and you can never trust yourself uh, to pick a BDSM play partner ever again. You can. You just need to, I think, take babier steps. You know, it sounds like you have friends in the BDSM community, these other people that you've contemplated playing with. I really think you need to unpack with them what happened, have long talks, see if there were warning signs uh, that they picked up on uh, perhaps or they, they could help you identify the warning signs along the way to this uh, abusive moment um, that maybe you didn't see. And you can move forward in a way empowered by this negative experience because it's made you wiser and hopefully more insightful. Uh, and if you are able to recognize the warning signs in advance uh, in the future, safer when you do these things. I think your husband's concern for you is completely legitimate and it might be a really good idea to take, you know, until you get to a place where you can talk about this without starting to cry, to, to take a nice long break. And if you want to do any sort of, you know, light power play just to, you know, keep those gears greased, do it with him. Do it with the husband a little bit. Do it with fantasy. Do it with mass, do it during masturbation. Watch porn. Um, chat with your, you know, the BDSM player friends that you have uh, without jumping in again. Uh, and then when you meet somebody and you feel that this person can be trusted and you want to put the training wheels back on the bike and take it out for another spin, hopefully your husband will be at a place where he is more comfortable with that and also you will be at a place where you're more comfortable in that. You had a negative experience. Not just people into BDSM have those negative experiences with their sex partners. We pick ourselves up, we learn from them, and we move on, empowered by them. You can too. Hi, Dan. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, one of my friends. He's a trans guy, and he's been on testosterone for a little over a year. Well, he's getting curious about having sex with men, which I guess happens when you're on tea. But um, so he posted a an ad on Craigslist, and he said in his description that he didn't want to be fetishized. And I asked him, what was, what's so wrong with that? I think that maybe if, if someone that has a fetish for him would be maybe more sensitive towards him or, I don't know, I just didn't see anything wrong with it. And he couldn't really explain why he didn't want it, but he just knew he did not want it. So what do you think? What do I think? How do I answer this question without getting in so much trouble? I think that it can be very difficult for trans guys and trans women to find partners. Therefore, I think uh, that it is foolish for trans people, uh, anybody uh, who's in an extremely unique circumstance, sexually, gender identity-wise, kink-wise, interest-wise, to kind of arbitrarily rule out people 
who are into something they bring to the table completely independent of who they are as people. Amputees, for instance, you know, if you are an amputee and it can be, you know, traumatic for someone to be attracted to this part of you that you, uh, you know, perhaps the amputation happened after, uh, you know, an extreme physical trauma. They rarely happen for trivial reasons, right? And so for someone to be attracted to because you're an amputee kind of tweaks that. But if you can get past that, there are a lot of amputee fetishists. People who have particular fetishes don't ask for them. But there are a lot of people who may be attracted to you because of the way you look, because of who you are, because of how you present. And that's okay. And you're not necessarily being fetishized if they can treat you not as a fetish object, but as a human being who is also this type of person that really clicks in your erotic imagination and really turns you on. You know, there are people out there who are into, you know, the obese, into the the, the morbidly obese, who treat the morbidly obese badly, who make them feel self-conscious and communicate to them when they're romancing them or having sex with them that what they're aroused by is partly, you know, disgust. And, you know, they perhaps have felt bad about being attracted to big people. And so they they treat the big people that they're intimate with poorly uh, because they resent them. They kind of take it out on them. This, you know, again, we're back to internal dramas, right? Being externalized. But not all people who are into BBWs, big, beautiful women, or BBMs, big, beautiful men, are like that. And so the onus is on the BBWs and BBMs to learn to tell them apart, to learn to distinguish them. And sometimes, you know, as with the previous uh, BDSM caller, it's having a couple of negative experiences along the way that helps you spot the bad ones, helps you learn to tell the difference. So I would advise your trans man friend to lead with that. He's a trans man. Buck Angel's a trans man. Buck Angel is totally leads with that. And it'll attract some people who view him perhaps only as an object and a freak uh, and they are just curious in this way that that makes him feel negatively objectified. It's not always bad to be objectified. Sometimes it's nice to be treated like a beautiful thing. But he will also meet people who are genuinely into trans guys and are into them in part because they're trans men, because they're trans guys. That appeals to them. They want to be with a man with a pussy, which is how Buck Angel describes himself. I'm just quoting there. Please don't be mad at me. And are also and also can interact with him and relate to him as a human being and, and see him not just as a trans man, but as a, a, a fully three-dimensional person. So what would I advise your friend to do? Put an ad out there. Put an ad on whatever website he's interested in. It doesn't have to be Craigslist. You don't have to crawl into the sewer with the crazies. He should put ads on Match.com, OkCupid, wherever he wants to. Dude's nude if he's into dudes. Uh, regular uh, dating websites uh, if he's into regular dating people. I made a face there because that's a stupid thing to say, but you can't see the faces I make, which is kind of a problem here at the podcast. He should put himself out there and see who comes at him. And he should vet them. And if somebody makes him uncomfortable, if somebody treats him like he's a dresser, like a thing that they want to fuck, he shouldn't date them. But if somebody comes along, he's like, I've always been attracted to trans men and I want to date trans men and learn more about 
this part of my sexuality and really get to know you as a person, he should go for it. He should go for it. He shouldn't deny himself uh, potential love, intimacy, or relationship just because perhaps what brought that person into his life initially was a surface attraction, was an objectification, was even a fetishization in part of who he is. You know, when it comes to normals, opposite sex, able-bodied, thin-privileged, which is my new favorite phrase, uh, straight people, if just surface attraction brings them both together. She's got a nice rack. He's got beautiful hair. Surface attraction brings them together because they, they're both sort of fetishizing each other for the rack, the hair, whatever. Nobody goes, oh, well, oh. They go, oh, yeah, surfaces bring you together, and then you, it's a discovery process to see if there's more there, to see if there's really a connection. The same can work, the same process of a surface attraction, bringing him together with somebody who's into him, and then a discovery process to see if there's more there. That can work for him, too, so long as he's willing to take the risk, put himself out there, and he should. Hi, Dan. Um, I was just listening to Podcast 228, and I've been a teacher for 10 years, um, and I totally hear where this woman's coming from. Everyone wants to tell you to come out to your kids. I'm a lesbian, and, and coming out to your students may not always be the best idea. Um, so what I would suggest that this woman does is tell her students that her brother is gay or her sister is gay. Um, this way it's so personal, and it explains why you feel so personally strongly about it, why you can be personally offended about it, and um, still kind of keeps her safe and makes sure she's going to keep her job and doesn't uh, get fired for ridiculous reasons. Hi, Dan. My name is Melissa, and I'm a first-grade teacher in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was just listening to your last podcast with a teacher that called about her seventh graders using the word gay in class and how she can respond. And I would just like to respectfully disagree with what you said about just telling kids that that's what you have as your role in the classroom and, and that's why they can't um, use the word gay in a slanderous way. Um, because, you know, seventh graders will just laugh at you if you say that and um, throw stuff at you. So anyway, as a teacher myself, I, I have used the explanation that saying the word gay is hurtful because I know people that are gay and I have friends that are gay and many of them know that they have family members or friends that are gay and that it's disrespectful and hurtful. And basically just telling them like it is, many of them um, may have family members that are gay that don't even know. I had a, a boy in my first grade class whose grandparents, grandmother was gay, and he didn't even know it, but he continued to work, use the word gay, and when I explained it to his mother, she explained to me that his grandmother was gay. So uh, anyways, I just thought that might help. And um, usually telling kids that it's hurtful and, and mean um, will get you more than just telling them you have to because I said so. Hello, Dan. This is uh, someone who wants to speak up on behalf of the crazy, insecure bitches in their 20s who think that masturbation is as good as cheating. Because I used to be one of them, and it was a, uh, it was a journey getting out of that mindset. Um, I do think that this guy who uh, has a girlfriend, the long distance, should be somewhat honest about his porn use. Maybe he doesn't have to tell every time he does it. But um, it is 
kind of a responsibility for young women to be educated in the differences between the way that men and women are socialized sexually. Um, we grow up women in a society where we are constantly having to compare ourselves to other women in terms of physical beauty. Uh, we are also grown up in a society that tells us that once we meet our prince, uh, everything will live happily ever after, and only utter and complete devotion is the prince. Um, obviously, that's bullshit, and you're a lot happier once you realize that that's not how the world works. Um, but you're only going to learn if guys are honest with them um, and show them that they love them. They worship their bodies. They think those women's bodies that they're with are unbelievably beautiful and sexy. But guess what? So are other women, and that's okay. And uh, it's going to happen. Um, Anyway, I, I had to come to terms with that myself. It was a journey, a, a lot of jealousy, a lot of insecurity, but it really, um, it really is an opportunity to learn for this young girl who really might not be a horrible person. She's just got some false information about how the world works. Anyway, love your show. It has been so great for my sex life. Um, my husband is very grateful that I listen to you obsessively. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question for a future show, please give us a buzz. Please head over to itgetsbetter.org to order a t-shirt or the new It Gets Better book coming out March 22nd. Also, it's a couple of days before St. Patrick's Day, uh, which is the 17th. Today's the 15th. And I just wanted to say that, you know, my advice for Valentine's Day also applies to St. Patrick's Day. Really, fuck first if you're going out to get trashed. Uh, fuck first. Fuck before you get fucked up. Uh, or just don't go out and say Patrick's Day. That's uh, what we do. We genuine Irish people. We stay the fuck home on St. Patrick's Day. And we watch uh, all the Guidos and Polacks go out and get smashed in our bars. And then uh, we take them back on the 18th. 206 201 mix. There, I said it. Guidos, Polacks mix. Please don't be mad at me. Uh, I meant that affectionately. My, uh, Half my family's Polak. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment. Thanks for downloading.